Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to another episode of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, John Farthing, and I'm Dan Watkins. On today's episode, we'll be doing another of our film buff or bluff quizzes. We'll reveal the winner of our Oscars sweepstake, and Andy has a quiz. And it's so lacking in impressive content, I'm going to rely on mystery and not tell you what it's about just yet. And on that mysterious note, let's get started. So, we have a winner. The Oscar sweepstake Oscar goes to... It goes to Mr. Ian McLaughlin, who oh. was lucky enough to be associated with Dune, Dune, which won, I believe, six Oscars for looking really nice in that. <laughs> looking really nice, sounding really nice. It was just nice. It was pretty nice. Pretty nice film. Yeah, yeah he, he won with 19 points. At the very last minute, we changed the scoring system again. We thought it wasn't great that we were propagating the Academy's style of making some awards more important than others. So we thought they'd all have the same weighting for each award, and you got three points if your film won an Oscar, but you got minus one point if your film was nominated but didn't win. So it was ruthlessly complicated, and Ian got 19 points. Please don't ask for a breakdown. Um, (laughs) Did the scoring system keep you and Hazel awake during the broadcast, which Uh, went on for some time, as I understand? Mostly bacon sandwiches kept me awake. Hazel did the scoring. So do the gods. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's very kind of you to say that about me, Peter. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I came last with Power of the Dog, which was nominated 12 times and only won one. But that was Jane Campion. And it's Mm. nice that, that now three women have won Best Director. So very, very slowly redressing that balance there. Three out of, what, 94? Ish. Yeah. Well, we could be getting on to 5% by the time they get to 100. We're approaching parity, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly. Ariana DeBose won uh, Best Supporting Actress. And deservedly so. Likewise, Troy Kotzer for Coda, which I haven't seen yet, but he is supposed to be excellent. It wasn't my pick for Best Picture, but I'm glad it won it. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, John, it's, it's heartwarming. Oh, You'll God, like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, we can talk heartwarming, but I must talk about Cheerworthy. Because, as we know, confirmed by the Academy, the most cheerworthy moment in the history of cinema, the Flash enters the Speed Force. <sighs> so annoying. Really? Really. This is the public awards, isn't it? Yes, this was voted for by Twitter. This is the Academy Awards equivalent of Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> I Except see. I think the Snyder Bros take it seriously. They may genuinely consider the Flash enters the Speed Force to be the greatest moment in the history of film. Oh. Yeah, I can safely say that's the worst thing that happened at the Oscars this year. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. And Move along. <laughs> Move along. Yeah. I have watched all four hours of Zack Snyder's Justice League. I can't remember The Flash Enters the Speed Force. No. Me I neither. don't think I cheered when it happened. I'm sure I didn't. I don't even know what that is. I watched that film. I, I've got no recollection of what a Speed Force. Of The Flash Enters the Speed Force. Oh, that was the best bit. Yeah. I, I mean, it was four hours of Dross. <laughs> and then, and like, why am I watching this? And then The Flash Entered the Speed Force. And it was like an orgasm in my brain it was like this is what 120 years of cinema has been leading up to fuck Citizen K you know that bit with the Odyssey Steps um, fuck mm-hmm. that uh, the Godfather <laughs> Godfather Part 2 nothing compared to the Flash, the flash entering the speed. the speed Force yeah do any of us know anything about this other than that particular <laughs> s- 
sentence. No. no. <laughs> I didn't think so. What he did was he ran really fast. Is, is that about right? It yeah. could be. I can't remember. That's about it. I mean, I'd like to apologise for championing Mandy in Hellraiser 5 over the years when Flash entering the Speed Force is a moment that overcomes the entirety of Nicolas Cage's filmography. You know, at the end of Star Wars A New Hope, when Luke is in the X-Wing in uh, the trench and yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan mm-hmm. comes to him on the radio or mentally or however it works. Yeah. It says, use the Speed Force. Exactly. If he'd said, use the Speed Force, then it would have been even more cheerworthy. Use the Speed Force, Luke. <laughs> Sir Alec Guinness. You know the bit right at the end of Star Wars where Chewbacca's about to get his medal and then flash it as the Speed Force and runs super fast <laughs> and steals a medal before Chewie gets it. <laughs> so that was the Oscars. I think we can consider that safely fully discussed. But what we haven't talked about yet is the first episode of Moon Knight, which I believe we've all seen now. I've, I've seen that. Yeah, it was know? really good. Yeah. yeah. Have you started saying later gators to people as yeah, you've left conversations? Yeah, I, have. I have. They're very confused. I love Stephen Grant. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Just want him to be okay. Uh, yeah, I, I got used to the accent after about 25 minutes. It's yeah. now only slightly stupid. I have to say, at the end of the first episode, when we actually see Moon Knight himself for the first time, I was a little bit disappointed because I just wanted to see more of Stephen. Yeah, I know what you mean. He was so so just mm, lovely and bumbling. But, and but, oh. no, I do kind of want to see how his alter ego contrasts. Because I assume there'll be a version of Stephen who is the other person, yes. uh, Mark. Mm-hmm but is much more confident and... Uh, Capable of killing lots and lots of henchmen. Yeah. Though I did like the fact that Stephen blacked out, woke up again, and there were just bodies all around him, and you didn't see the action. It yeah, worked really well. Doing it. So, Dan, you work in a castle, and you've met many famous people over the years as part of that job. Have you ever mooned a knight? I have never mooned anyone, but were I to moon anyone, I would have to moon a knight. Please do that and report back as to exactly how you lose your job. <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> I will blame Khonshu, the Egyptian god of death. So do you think for the next episode we're going to get some flashbacks and fill in some of the, the gaps that we saw? It seems likely, doesn't it? I kind of hope they don't, though. Yeah. I'd be happy to not. Move forward. But Mark Spector could be just as interesting a character as Stephen the gift shopist. Mm. He could be. I'm sure I read some descriptions of the show that made mention of a former US Marine, and that could be who Mark is, and if so, then that's powerfully generic, is it not? In the comics, Mark is a mercenary, and he is the one who is imbued with the powers of the Moon God. But in the comics, Stephen Grant is a standard playboy, billionaire, Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark type, and they've completely changed that for the show. Maybe they'll do the same with Mark. Mm. Been good calls so far. Yeah. Let's hope so. Yeah. Off to a strong start. Yeah. I'm liking it. I really enjoyed it. I'm hoping that they don't do what's happened with some of the other Marvel series, where they kind of start out quite avant-garde and different, and then by the last couple of episodes, fall into a generic Marvel big battle. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they realise that it's those weirdnesses that have been received quite well. Mm-hmm. The one that was most conventional is probably Falcon the Winter Soldier, which, if anything, has been regarded as the worst. Mm-hmm. TV allows them to explore and take bigger risks, mm-hmm. hopefully. And we're on the second round now, aren't we? So we're getting the ones that are made, potentially with the feedback from the first lot. It's also the first show with a non-established main character. So all the shows up to now have used characters who've been in the films, whereas we haven't seen Moon Knight in any form up to this point. So it might mean they stick with being a little bit different. There's films as well. In Marvel films. Yeah. I wonder why chunks of it didn't make sense of the TV series I've been watching. 
Oh, oh, you've got a lot of catching up to uh, do, John. There's at least five. Yeah, <laughs> maybe six now, actually. I think God. one came out last year. Oh, people are going to get bored of them if they keep releasing that many. Yeah. Should we say latest gators to Moon Knight, then? Yeah. For, for now, yeah, one episode in. Yeah. Bye. See ya. Nice talking to you. That's, that was Peter's alter ego. But I think Peter <laughs> is back now to give us a book of love. <sighs> are you all right there, Peter? You've uh, gone for yeah. a while there. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I don't know what happened. Why, why are you all dead? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I have a buff or buff this time about Star Trek guest appearances. Ooh. Dan is very thorough in preparing for this, so he's taken the step of watching every single episode of Star Trek Next Generation. I have. It took me three years, but I did it. <laughs> Don't say you're not committed, yep. or shouldn't be, possibly. Um, so anyway, over the 800 plus episodes of Star Trek and movies so far, there have been many cameo appearances. Whoopi Goldberg got a recurring role in Star Trek Next Generation by asking for it when she was riding high as an Oscar winner. Christian Slater had a bizarre half-scene cameo as a crewman in Star Trek VI and Kelsey Grammer appeared as a starship captain. My bluffs are all about musicians that have made cameo appearances in Star Trek. Number one. Mick Fleetwood, of Fleetwood Mac, appeared in Next Generation as an assassin, with his face totally hidden in a fish mask. Number two. Billy Idol appeared as a punk in Star Trek The Voyage Home in 1986. His mate received a Vulcan death grip from Spock. And number three. Rage Against the Machine guitarist Tom Morello appeared as an alien in the movie Insurrection and also as a crewman in an episode of Voyager. Which one is the bluff? You said I'd seen every episode of The Next Generation and went on to list three cameos that were not in The Next Generation, so I'm stumped. Uh, I'm well, the stumped. first one was a Next Generation oh, episode. Yeah, oh. Mick Fleetwood. Oh. Oh. Well, well, that'll be the bluff then, won't it? But I would like to analyse, you said Mick Fleetwood was wearing a fish mask. Is yeah. this a mask that gave him the appearance of a fish or a mask made of fish? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a mask which makes him look like a sort of gill fish creature. Was he attacked by an albatross because they thought he, he was a fish? <laughs> he was not. <laughs> and he's also wearing basically like a silver crinkly shower curtain. I'm struggling to remember that episode, but it sounds very plausible. It sounds like the kind of guff that Star Trek would come up with. Um, <laughs> um, would it help to say this is the episode where Diana's mum takes a shine to Captain Kirk? Oh, to Picard. Yes. <laughs> I, Sorry, to Picard, yeah. yes. Uh, I mean, she would have taken a shine to Captain Kirk as well, I'm sure. Yes, that does help. I remember the Diana's mum episodes quite well. Do you remember She's a fish? <laughs> I don't remember a fish man who looked like Mick Fleetwood. Now, Star Trek The Voyage Home was set on 1980s Earth, was it not? It Someone was, who's yeah. seen it, yeah. So Billy Idol could have been around. Yes. Yeah. Now, John is on screen and he's looking like he knows the answer. <laughs> I, I, I know the answer. I'm, I'm our resident Star Trek nerd, so I know this. And I'm, so I'm going to keep quiet and let the other two have a guess. What else was uh, a detail in the Billy Idol story? His, his mate got killed by a Vulcan well, death grip. So, yeah, his mate had a, like a noisy boombox and was playing it loud on the bus. And Spock gave him a Vulcan death grip, as we used to call it in the playground. Though I'm sure that was never its official name. <laughs> Is Spock known as a cold-blooded killer? No, it's not. That's what kids call him. They call oh, him so the Vulcan a- death group. Okay, but he didn't actually kill him. No, no, right, not. Okay, right, it, right, it, right. it was merely assault. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Spock's um, one of Star Trek's greatest villains, as far as I know. So that, that, that scans. <laughs> I believe that. And then we've got Tom Morello in Insurrection. Is that the one with Tom Hardy in it? Yes. So. 
they've got one Tom, would they have two Toms in the <laughs> same film? That's a great logic. <laughs> it's Spock logic. Mm. I do not know what I'm basing this on, but I think Tom Morello is a bit of a nerd and would love to be in Star Trek. I could be completely wrong. Maybe it's just because mm. of how short he has his guitar strap. And that makes no sense at all. But it, his guitar is very high up, and that makes me think he's a nerd. Yeah. Let's not analyse that. I don't okay. understand no, it no, myself. No, I, I, gonna, think, I, think they're all, I think they're all nerds. Like, there's quite a famous picture of um, Billy Idol with the Beastie Boys doing, like, a Spock a hand gesture. Uh, Peter, where in your house do you tend to write your buff and bluffs? Is uh, it in this room with a Billy Idol Funko Pop looking at you, giving you inspiration? No. Oh, that could have been a clue. I mean, the, the Mick Fleetwood one is so ridiculous, I think Peter would come up with something more convincing if he'd made it up. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go for Billy Idol just because a plastic image of him is looking at us right now. Uh, I am inclined to agree with you and go with Billy Idol as well. And John, I see me going for the same thing. I'm, I'm going for Billy Idol and I know that you, <laughs> you've watched this week's Picard, which has given you the inspiration for this one. It has, yeah. The Picard has an episode set in modern day Earth and it has a guy on the bus with a get a blaster. And it's the same actor who actually played it back in 1986. Oh, wow. Seven of Nine tells him to turn the boombox down. And he feels his neck as if his neck still hurts and goes, okay, and turns it down. <laughs> That's a deep cut reference. It's very yeah. deep cut. There's loads of that in Picard. But I think what's quite nice is if you don't get him, it doesn't matter. Mm. And Picard is still good? I think it's really good this season. Are you enjoying it, John? I'm very much enjoying it. I enjoyed that the, uh, the episodes where they were trying to get back to the future was directed by Leah Thompson. Yes. Ah. <laughs> Peter, would you like to tell us that we're all correct? Uh, yes, you are all correct. <laughs> Other cameos. Iggy Pop played a Volta in Deep Space Nine. Did he wear a shirt? <laughs> don't know, actually. Did he get his penis out? Because I've seen Iggy Pop twice and I've seen Iggy Pop's penis twice. <laughs> How many times have you seen him McLaughlin? <laughs> many, many. <laughs> Billy Idol has been in a couple of films. He played himself in The Wedding Singer and played Madman Mulligan in a 2002 episode of Horrible Histories. Oh. Oh, and apparently, which I didn't know, the Beatles had a cameo in Doctor Who in 1966. Did they? Yeah, so he had this sort of time visualiser machine that showed him significant events in history, and they showed 30 seconds of them playing Ticket to Ride. Wow. Mm. Uh, and apparently that's now all cut out of uh, when it's shown in the US, because they don't have the rights for it anymore. Interesting. Do you know why Christian Slater was in Star Trek VI? Don't. His mother, Marriage Joe Slater, was the casting director for the film, so she cast her own son in a clear act of nepotism. It wasn't a career-enhancing favour. I mean, it's probably the second best thing he did after Heather's. <laughs> and Shirley Manson played a Terminator in Sarah Connor Chronicles. But she was a, a leading role in the second season. It was really good. It had a yeah, ropey like first couple of episodes, but it's the third best Terminator thing after the first two films, by a long way. Yeah, I'll go with that. And it also means Game of Thrones had two Sarah Connors. Because mm. Lena Headey played yes. her in the TV series and Amelia Clark in that awful, awful travesty of a film. Jen Isis. Matt Smith needs to fucking fire his agent because if you look at the film roles that Paul Matt Smith has been given, he pops up in Morbius this week. And yet on TV, you've got him being a really good doctor in mm -hmm. Doctor Who and he was excellent in The Crown as well. So yeah. maybe he just needs to stay away from the big screen. Perhaps so. Who is next for a buff or bluff? So, celebrities normally get on, but sometimes yep. they fall out. <laughs> Uh-oh. Sometimes mm. they fall out spectacularly, but sometimes they fall out for quite ridiculous reasons. 
So I have for you three reasons why celebrities have fallen out with each other. Excellent. Number one, Meatloaf and Jim Steinman fell out in the early 80s after Meatloaf signed a marketing deal for Bat Out of Hell Hot Chili Sauce and didn't give Jim Steinman any of the royalties. Apparently the sauce sold over a million dollars worth over the two years of the licence, but due to the terrible contract Meatloaf signed, he actually got only $400. Number two. Sylvester Stallone and Richard Gere fell out over a chicken dinner. Back in 1974's Lord of Flatbush, Sylvester Stallone was eating a hot dog when Richard Gere came up to him eating a big, full, greasy dinner in aluminium foil. Sylvester Stallone said, he ready if that oil gets on my trousers, you're in trouble. And some of it did slip onto it, ruining Sylvester Stallone's trousers, leading to an altercation that led to Richard Gere being pushed out of Sylvester Stallone's car. Richard Gere was later fired from the film. And finally, mm. number three, Sinead O'Connor and Frank Sinatra had a falling out over the national anthem. They were playing gigs on consecutive dates at a venue in America, and Sinead O'Connor asked for the national anthem not to be played before her set due to her political leanings. Frank Sinatra found out about this and at his show the next day threatened to kick Sinead O'Connor's ass. Sinead <laughs> responded with she could probably fight him because of his age, but she wasn't going to. Hmm. Hmm. Shall we start at the beginning? The $400 of license money. Yeah. Um, strikes me as the kind of thing Meatloaf would do, yeah. Yeah. And Meatloaf and Jim Steinman did fall out, did they not? I think they fell out numerous they times did. over numerous things over the years. I know they fell out and then they did Battle of Hell 2 and then fell out again, but this is it's kind of early on, after sort of the early 80s where Meatloaf's career was in the doldrums a little bit. Who would have owned the rights to sign away the Battle of Hell name? I don't know, John. I would think it legally it would be Jim Steinman, which would explain why he was so pissed. So that seems logical. Yeah, yeah, I can go with that. So number two, the chicken dinner with Richard Gere and Sylvester Stallone. Now, John, was that a direct quote from Stallone? That was the most implausible line delivery I've ever heard. It, it, he wouldn't it, say it, trousers, would he? It was along those lines. It may have been pants. Okay. It was pants, John. <laughs> <laughs> So we're decided then, but number three, just for completion's sake. Well, I mean, that one, it does seem like a bit of an overreaction, pushing someone out of your car because you've got a spot of oil on your, on your pants. But uh, is, is, is Sylvester Stallone that kind of gentleman that might overreact? So this happened in 1974, and Stallone Which talked is... about it in 2006. So he'd obviously been harboring this grudge for 30-odd years. I wonder if John's made this up and is thinking of the story about Rocky and the chicken dinners and how the audience were recruited for the boxing matches. Mm, Do you know that? I, I know the story, mm. but that's not what I was thinking of, or was it? Well, I well, think it what might you were thinking of when you made it up, you mean? When Richard Gere likes a greasy chicken dinner. <laughs> so this is First thing you ever hear when someone mentions Richard Gere. Yeah. <laughs> how he gets the chicken dinner up the cardboard tube into his arses. <laughs> And the third one was Sinead O'Connor and uh, Frank Sinatra. Sinead O'Connor not wanting the national anthem to be played for political reasons, I can understand. I can also believe Frank Sinatra threatening to beat up a woman. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that one's probably true. I thought John did look quite pleased when he told us that one, though. 
John, are you Team Sinead or Team Sinatra? Uh, okay, so in every Musically. conceivable way, Frank Sinatra is wrong to say that, but the Sinead O'Connor cover of Nothing Compares to You is one of the most dreary pieces of drivel of all time. <laughs> That's true. Have you ever heard uh, Chris Cornell's cover of that? I haven't. Excellent. Look it up. Yeah. Chris Cornell's great. He is. Sorry, we, yes. we're, doing, we're doing a podcast. We, we are. So uh, I'm thinking chicken dinner. Chicken dinner. Yeah, chicken dinner. You are all wrong. Oh, <gasps> wrong, wrong chicken dinner. It doesn't work. <laughs> loser, loser, no chicken dinner. <laughs> Meatloaf never sold the rights to bat out of hell hot sauce. No. Oh. I kind of wish he had. <laughs> but that entire thing was a elaborate lie. Mm, very well yeah. lied. It was very well lied. You should be a lawyer, John. Andy, do you wish to go next? Yeah, in tribute to uh, Moon Knight, which we've uh, all, all just recently begun to enjoy, and in derision at Moonfall, which we all Moon spoke fail. about and then didn't bother to go watch nope. because it looked bloody awful. I've just got two facts and a lie describing films that have something to do with the moon. Excellent. Okay. In a Stephen Grant voice, if you please. Number one. <laughs> moon Wolf. That was uh, number one. Moon Wolf. That didn't last long. <laughs> it was enough. <laughs> Why are you all dead? <laughs> moon Wolf. 1975 horror comedy in which a mission to the moon goes awry when one of the astronauts, bitten by a large dog the day before <laughs> departure... <laughs> turns into a werewolf and subsequently pursues his colleagues around the lunar surface in slow, bounding, low-gravity chases. Mm. I mean, you don't need to carry on, really. <laughs> Number two, Cat Women of the Moon. Sci-fi from 1953 in which astronauts travel to the moon where they discover the remnants of an ancient civilization, all of whom happen to be attractive young women in black leotards. Mm-hmm. They appear friendly, but secretly intend to steal the ship and return to Earth, where they will seize power using their psychic abilities and giant moon spiders. I mean, I've been caught out a number of times by sexy women in leotards who appeared friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Hercules against the Moon Men. A 1964 Franco-Italian production in which alien rock monsters from the moon land in ancient Greece and align themselves with an evil queen. The queen sacrifices her own people to help awaken a moon goddess who will grant her ultimate power. The mighty Hercules is the only one with the strength to oppose them, leading to a showdown with the leader of the moon men, Rodolphins. Rodolphus, rather. It's almost as if I've just made this up. Uh, Who is a giant with a metal head? Okay, I think I've heard of one of them. How many of you heard of John? I the cat women on the moon rings a that bell. That was the one I'm sure of. Yeah. yeah. The third one I've heard. I I I think I might have heard the title, but there's so many Hercules versus yeah. the ridiculous thing. The only of, thing of that with, genre. weird with that is that it's only like four or five years before we actually got on the moon for real. So the idea of still having a thing where moon men are the bad guys seems really strange, but it's still possible. I want Moonwolf to be real, though. So, did this werewolf have a little plexiglass space helmet on when he was running around the moon? From images I've seen, the remnants of one, um, he uh, turned into, well, obviously was wearing a spacesuit when he turned into the werewolf, and uh, I think kind of grew in size and got sharp claws and kind of scratched it away, but just had scraps of um, spacesuit and uh, a bit of broken bit of helmet on his head. So it's the idea that if you're on the moon, you're permanently a werewolf because it's always a full moon. It would affect being a werewolf somewhat. 
absolutely. Yeah, super werewolf, like super strong because the moon's much closer than even a full moon. So is it the moon itself that turns you into a werewolf on Earth, or is it the light of the full moon? Because the moon is there the whole time throughout the month, but mm-hmm. it's only when it's full that you become a werewolf. Yeah. And if you were on the moon, you wouldn't see the light of the moon, so you wouldn't become Therefore, a werewolf. Therefore, you wouldn't be a werewolf. So it's all fallen down. A little bit, yeah. You would see the light of the moon, because it would be right there. Well, You'd be on it. Would it. Be, it would be the light from the sun, which reflects off the moon onto Earth, does it not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just going to... But you see the sun reflecting off the ground on the moon when you were on the moon. Yeah. And it wouldn't be full, because you wouldn't have the faces of the moon, because you were on the moon. Mm. Mm. So, I don't know if the makers of Moonwolf, if it exists, have thought about this in enough detail, have they? Is anybody interested in getting on the phone to NASA and trying to send a werewolf into space to see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the other two films make perfect sense, and the logical that we just established in Moonwolf makes me think that that's the bluff. I agree, John. Yep. It's Moonwolf for me. Agreed. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But as usual, if, if uh, any producers out there want to fund Moonwolf, then I'll be happy to learn how to make films and then make Moonwolf. And we will watch it. I don't think you need to learn how to make films first, going by the <laughs> potential quality <laughs> of the film. Handicap. It's very true. So my Buffalo Bluff this week is about farts. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so Raising I've, the tone there. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I've got two facts and a lie about farts in films. Number one. The fartiest single scene in Hollywood history is The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, which includes a family dinner featuring 58 farts in three minutes. This beat the record previously set by the South Park movie, which came out the year before. Number two. While shooting The Princess Bride, Andre the Giant let out a fart that lasted an astonishing 16 seconds. (laughs) Cast and crew on set are said to have stopped whatever they were doing when it happened, presumably in admiration. Did they applaud? (laughs) I hope they did. And number three, Blazing Saddles is known for its campfire farting scene, but it has another more subtle fart joke. Incompetent governor William J. Lepetamain, played by Mel Brooks, is named after a Frenchman from the early 20th century, famous for his ability to fart Le Marseillais, among other things. He was known as Lepetamain or Fartomaniac. So what is it? The Clumps Fart Fest, Andre's Giant Fart, or Mel Brooks Fartomaniac? Number two is inconceivable. Oh, that's a crap film. <laughs> what? Oh, rubbish. 16 seconds, Andy. Oh, I'm a huge admiration for Andre the Giant, and uh, I completely believe that, that. I figure that's just a fairly standard fart for him. Uh, it's still a terrible film. How can you not like The Princess Bride? Because it's bad. It's neither funny nor exciting. <laughs> I thought I was the one who didn't have a soul. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm still stunned at this. It's, it's a great film. Have you read the book? No, of course you haven't. Didn't know there was a book. There Wouldn't isn't. change how terrible the film is. I wasn't keen on the book. Hmm. It's a lot more the book equivalent of fourth wall breaking. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a very strong author of the book talking to you about the story that he's writing. And it, it's an interesting way of doing it, but I didn't like it as much as the film. You've kind of got the framing device in the film of Peter Falk and Fred Savage, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so is it kind of the equivalent of that? A little bit, yeah. It's sort of like William Goldman talking to mm-hmm. you as the reader about how the story's constructed. And I think it's deeper on a level of writing a story about how to write a story, almost, and mm-hmm. the things that conventionally happen at certain points in the story. This is the bit where this happens and that kind of thing. It's been a long time since I read it. Mm-hmm. 
And obviously, I think he wrote the script as well. He did, yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. So it's an interesting adaptation from that point of view, but it wouldn't have worked as a direct adaptation of the book, I don't think. Some of the things it did basically just went into common parlance. It's Mm -hmm. a bit like the way, say, Aliens, loads of things get ripped off by every similar film after that point. And I think Princess Bride did a load of things first that if you see it now, you maybe don't appreciate. It was kind of uh, Mm -hmm. great fun that it was breaking the rules. And at the time, fairy tales were not a thing. Then we had loads of like TV series beset in fairy tale worlds and all sorts of things after it. You wouldn't have got Shrek without Princess Bride, I don't think. Mm. That kind of ironic fourth wall breaking archness has kind of permeated Hollywood. It was one of the first ones to do that kind of thing. So you see something like... um, Ryan Reynolds in films where he's in the film but he's also commenting on the film. Yeah, which I wish he wouldn't do. Well, this is why they did that Deadpool Christmas Mm -hmm. edition which ripped off the frame of Princess Bride. Yeah, with Fred Savage as an adult tied up in bed. Mm. Anyway. (laughs) But no Deadpool has had a 16-second fart like Andre the Giant, allegedly. I mean, you... Just to get you back on track. You can't fart for 16 seconds. I mean, I've tried. (laughs) I've done 12. How many baked beans did that take? Just four pints of Guinness and a cover. You hear stories about Andre the Giant and uh, what he could consume and drinking mm. 45 bottles of wine in one sitting and things like that. And uh, yeah, that just sounds perfectly ordinary for him. The only way that would be the bluff, I think, would be if the bones of it were true, but the fart lasted for four minutes or something. <laughs> four minutes. <laughs> if you got a fart that's got bones in it, that's definitely something to worry about. <laughs> That's how he died, isn't it? Did he not do the farts so strongly it propelled him into space where he landed on the moon and was killed by a werewolf? A moon wolf, yeah. <laughs> that Nutty Professor Clump scene I've seen, it's an awful film. But I remember the scene where they're all sat around the dinner table farting. So that's definitely a real scene in a film. Whether it's the fartiest scene of all time, I don't know. I thought for a while that was the Blazing Saddles scene. Mm-hmm. Well, that only goes on for a minute. Mm. It's quite a short scene. And you said that South Park had set the record the year before, and yes. presumably that would have been in the Shut Your Fucking Face Uncle Fucker song. That's correct. Terence and Phillips' Asses of Fire. <laughs> yeah. They do a little um, trading farts solo thing. <laughs> yeah. I really have lowered the tone, haven't I? <laughs> Bizarrely, that's one of my mum's favourite films. She loves that. <laughs> For a delicate lady of a certain age. So Cliff Richard South Park. This is what we know about your mum. I was living at home when it came out, so I was watching it, and then she came in and I was like, oh dear, and she absolutely loved it and thinks it's one of the funniest things ever made. That leaves us with Le Petamain. Well, that is true, I'm sure, because I've heard of him. You see, I kind of think that Andre the Giant is a bluff, but I know that Dan is an Andre the Giant fan, and I wouldn't be sure mm. that he would demean his memory by suggesting that he did a 16-second fart on a film set. <laughs> <laughs> He's also a huge wrestling fan, so any yeah. excuse to have wrestling. Andre transcended wrestling. Very true. Mm. I'm going to pick Andre. Yeah, me too, because the fart was longer than 16 seconds. I'm going for Andre. You're all wrong. Aww. According to reports, Andre did let out a 16 second <laughs> fart on set of The Princess Bride that stopped everyone in their tracks. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> the bluff was the first one, The Nutty Professor. And the fartiest Ooh. scene. I could find no record or evidence of what the fartiest scene in Hollywood history is, so I picked a film that I thought would have a lot of farts in it and just said it was that. Mm. So I, how do you know it's not true? Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't 58 in three minutes. <laughs> right. There might be farts in The Nutty Professor too, but unlikely. 
Uh, and Le Petamain was a real guy. He was a fartomaniac. Although it wasn't strictly a fart as we know it, he was able to inhale air and exhale it through his bum. So it wasn't gaseous or wind at all. It was just some weird quirk of his internal organs and he could do various tunes, and he could play musical instruments through so his he, he had bum a fault, and things like that. He had a fault bypass operation. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Um, and he could hold air inside him for a really long time, and just yeah, and control it. And it, very odd, but fascinating historical figure. So he had a tube connecting his lungs to his anus. I, perhaps, yeah. Something was going on in there. Mm. Um, Maybe was he so yeah, was he a human at, centipede at one point in his life, and uh, that's the reason why he had to create the. The tubage. Unconfirmed. Dan, if you had to be in the middle of a human centipede, who would you have in front and who would you have behind and why? <laughs> Out of anyone in the world. Out of anybody in the world. Well, for posing that question, you're behind. Oh. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, let's have Lepetamine in front. <laughs> yes, because you could. Because it's most, we're mostly going to get air. <laughs> yeah. A good answer to a terrible question. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of good answers and terrible questions, or good questions and terrible answers... No, you're right the first time. <laughs> oh, no. Um, it's time for Andy's quiz. Ah, uh, musical sting. Roxanne! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so this quiz is quite simple. I'm going to read you a movie quote, and you're going to tell me what film it's from. Uh, but I have acquired a thesaurus, and I've uh, changed all the words in the movie quote. Um, so it has the same meaning, but is different words. Just tell me the movie it's from, if you want to say the, the full quote, if you want to adopt a hilarious comedy accent at the same time, then, then have at it. And a hilarious comedy accent, you say? <laughs> What's one of them? Oh no, Peter's gone again. Oh, where is everybody? <laughs> I uh, neglected to find a way to score this, so do you want to just remember your scores? Should we just, should we just all enjoy the ride? Yes. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make up scores at the end. So let's do this one by one rather than uh, buzzing in uh, so I can get through the entire quote because I really enjoyed writing them. Let's start with John because he's to my left. I shall suggest a deal he will be unable to decline. The Godfather, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Correct. I suspect they're all going to be uh, that easy. So let's try and do this quickly. (laughs) Peter, extend friendly greetings to my diminutive companion. Oh, (laughs) say hello to my little friend. Uh, I'm not actually sure where that's (gasps) from. Um, The Untouchables? Oh, it's not. Would someone like to buzz in? Buzz. Steal the point. Scarface? Correct. That's two to John. Dan, his possession is not a cutting tool. My possession is a cutting tool. That's not a knife. This is a (laughs) knife. Crocodile Dundee. Correctly correcting. I like these. (laughs) They make me very happy. John, the language of the Angles, lover of your immediate ancestor, are you able to comprehend and produce such? Ah, yes. Can I have that again? The language of the Angles, lover of your immediate ancestor, are you able to comprehend and produce such? Something, motherfucker, something? Can can I buzz? Can I buzz? You may buzz. English, motherfucker, do you speak it? Correct. From? From, uh, pass. (laughs) (laughs) It's Samuel L. Jackson, is it not? It is, I'll yeah. give you that. It's uh, from Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. Uh, Peter, mm-hmm. is the audience failing to experience enjoyment? I don't know. I don't, don't can, get I, the can I buzz? 
please do. Are you not entertained? Correct. Gladiatoire. Daniel, I am able to sustain such for an entire 24-hour period. I could do this all day. Captain America. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Are you not going to sing it? No. <laughs> John, for clarity, beloved one, I am unconcerned with your predicament. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Correct. Peter, I sit atop the aristocracy for this entire planet. Oh, uh, I'm the king of the world. Correct. <laughs> From um, Titanic. Yeah. Or the James Cameron autobiography. <laughs> or from presumably James Cameron every time he has sex. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, I demand to know the identity of your father in addition to his occupation. Who is your father and what does he do? Who is your daddy and what does, what he, does he do? do? Yes, yeah, kindergarten cop. John, I insist you inquire of yourself. Am I experiencing great fortune? So tell me, is this so delinquent? Uh, is it, I don't know the whole code. Do you feel lucky punk from Dirty Harry? That's the one. Peter, remove yourself from the immediate vicinity of my young female associate, you female dog. <laughs> Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> Correct. Uh, from aliens. Yeah. Daniel, I deny you access to this route. You shall not pass. Correct. I've lost track of my score. Sorry. I'm, it's all right. I'm just going to make it up at the end. Okay. John, negative. The individual with whom you are speaking is your male parent. No, I am your father. Yep. <laughs> Peter, you are incapable of managing total veracity. Uh, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Correct. From, um, oh, Jack Nicholson. Um, Aaron Sorkin. Yep. It is. Yep. Birds. John just buzzed. A few good men? It is yeah. a few good men. Um, don't worry, I'm, I'm making note of whether you just complete the quote or if you give the movie answer. I know exactly how many points everyone has. It's fine. It's fine. Daniel, reveal to me your currency. Show me the money. Yes. Jerry Maguire. Yep. <laughs> John, I require your garments, footwear, and two-wheeled <laughs> transportation. Um, let me think. Could that be... Um, it's Kermit the Frog in the Muppet that's movie. That's the one, isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's Kermit in the Muppet movie. Oh, it's give me your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. No, in a Kermit voice, surely. Give me your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. It ain't easy being Austrian. <laughs> Peter, I sense a requirement, a requirement of great velocity. I feel the need, the need for speed. Correct. Uh, from Top Gun. Yes. Daniel, upon the occasion that an inquiry is made into your status as a potential deity, answer in the affirmative. Something about God. Ooh. Upon the occasion that an inquiry is made into your status as a potential deity, answer in the affirmative. Ray. Buzz, 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 buzz. I, yeah, it's, it's on the periphery of my mm. brain, but I can't think of it. So, John, John do uh, if it. If anyone ever asks you, you're a god, you say yes from Ghostbusters. Correct. More for John. Large Texas metropolis, we are experiencing difficulty. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Peter, I'm inclined to believe that our location is no longer a Midwestern American state known for large wheat fields. Ah, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> Correct. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Dan, am I the individual with whom you wish to converse? Are you talking to me? Yes. Taxi driver. Yeah. 
John, I am fond of the aroma given off by a firebomb fuel gel mixture early in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Uh, apocalypse now. Correct. Peter, hark, occupying the lower atmosphere. I observe an avian. I observe an aircraft. Negative. I conclude that we are witness <laughs> to the wonderful gentleman. <laughs> it's a bird. It's a plane. Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, I consumed my antagonist's hepatic organ accompanied by some tasty greens and a delightful Tuscan red. Wow. Uh, I ate his liver with some fairy beans and a nice Chianti, said Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs. Yes, he did. Naughty boy. <laughs> he was a naughty boy. We need. We don't say this often enough. Don't eat other people. <laughs> really no matter not. matter how peckish you are. <laughs> Unless they're really bad people. In which case, chow down. We've got three left. One more each. Uh, John, I wish to order the same dish as that excitable young woman. Oh, 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 ooh, I want what she's having. <laughs> From which film? When Harry met Sally. Correct. Peter. You will require an aquatic vessel of greater capacity. Oh, Peter. Oh, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. 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 And finally, oh. Dan. Masculine individuals, cease your physical disagreement within this chamber. You occupy the office designated for discussing armed conflict. Oh, oh gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Correct. From the flash enters the speed force. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. And in the end, uh, John has nine points, Peter has nine points, and Dan has nine points. Yes, it's a three-way tie, oh. and uh, that means everybody wins slash loses. Oh. There is no tiebreaker. No more questions. <laughs> Musical sting. Roxanne. <laughs> I can there do that every time. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to the end of another episode of the Nerdfest podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, even if you haven't, leave us a great review and a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. And John will provide a very special reward for you, won't you, John? Well, I was going to, and I had a great reward planned, and you would all have cheered and celebrated, and it would have been one of the greatest moments in the history of podcasts. But unfortunately, the Flash Enters the Speed Force has just ruined it. So it's just be a YouTube clip of that on repeat forever and ever. Cheerworthy. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Well, uh, we hope you'll enjoy that clip over the next two weeks until our next episode. But until then, you have been listening to... A man who can't tell the difference between his waking life and dreams. A man who once drank an entire bottle of meatless bat out of hell hot sauce and did a 16 second fart as a result. <laughs> 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 and I'm the Flash entering the Speed Force. See you again next time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Did the Speed Force consent? <laughs> <laughs>